Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Today, my guest is Henry Rollins, and I had found him on the internet, and I was doing a little research on detoxing, and he popped up. He is in charge of the Detox Project, so welcome, Henry. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on. I would like you to tell us what exactly is the Detox Project. Sure thing. So the Detox Project started about now six years ago. And we started as a testing organization. So we test people all over the world for toxic chemicals in their bodies. Uh, We started doing a lot of testing back then with the University of California, San Francisco and King's College London to enable the public to start testing themselves because before that period, um, it was very difficult for the general public to test themselves for pesticides anywhere in the world. Um, And we do, uh, at least we did um, start with urine testing, um, but we moved on to hair testing. So we concentrate on um, testing people's hair for a group of agricultural pesticides, including glyphosate, which is the most used herbicide in the world, uh, found in products like Roundup and also for home pesticides. So things that you might use to kill lice on your dogs or cats or or things that you might use um, in in other ways to kill pests at home. And we test now for the European, for groups within the European Parliament, for the Japanese government. And also we've just started also working with the Chinese government um, and for testing the general population to see and, and uh, to see what they have as a long-term exposure to these pesticides. And we do a lot of testing on different parts of the population. So, for example, people who live in rural communities or people who live in cities, people who work on farms, to see what type of different long-term exposure we all get to these chemicals. And, and that's why hair testing is so cool, um, because... It's the only way to find out if you're long-term exposed to these chemicals. Um, Urine and blood only give you like a two, three-day short-term exposure, but hair testing gives you about a four to five months exposure and what you're regularly exposed to. Because we're generally, as a population, only exposed to chemicals regularly that are literally around us, for example, in our diet or around us in the house, that it's very important to find out those low levels that we're exposed to, though, because it's the only the chemicals that you're regularly exposed to that cause health problems. If you're just exposed once to a low dose, you're not going to have any health problems from that. But if you're exposed, for example, every day or every week to the same chemical at a low dose, that's the that causes the specific health issues. And so that's one side of our work is is all about hair testing, and the other side is all about food testing. So we test for brands, some small, some huge, mainly in the US, but all over the world to find out if they have glyphosate and other pesticides in those food products and how to remove those 
pesticides from their supply chains. And also we certify. So we certify specific food brands as glyphosate residue free, um, which is currently the third fastest growing certification for food products in the US. So those are the two areas that we work on most. So how did this become your mission? I grew up on a, an organic farm in the middle of nowhere in Wales. Uh, and my family has been involved with trying to get rid of toxic chemicals um, for the last hundred years, from my my great grandfather to my grandfather to my mother, who's done a lot of work on trying to keep uh, GMO cro- genetically modified crops um, out of out of Wales and out of the UK, which so far has been successful. Um, and also, I'm working on subjects surrounding. Um, chemicals from from DDT to PTBs uh, back in the 1970s, 1980s, and so yeah, it's kind of a kind of a family thing. Um, but I actually left that kind of path and went to work as a journalist, and started to get frustrated with my editor not allowing me to publish stories on pesticides. So I decided to set up uh, my own media, which was back 10 years ago called Sustainable Pulse. Um, and that's where the detox project came from. Um, just you know, finding out as much information from all over the world on 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 pesticides and toxic chemicals, and therefore uh, we realised that no one no one was t- doing enough testing of these things. So we thought, well, we'll set up something ourselves. So that's how it came about. So you've mentioned glyphosate a couple of times. What is it, and why should we avoid it? Because what what kind of health problems is it causing in people? Glyphosate was actually designed back in the nineteen sixties by a company to clean out specific cations from the middle of metal pipes, so zinc and magnesium. It was first designed to clean out metal pipes from those from those cations. It was then found in the 1970s um, by companies such as Monsanto, which has now been taken over by Bayer, to be a fantastic weed killer. So it was started to be sprayed around homes to kill weeds and also on a lot of the crops that we eat. So corn, wheat, oats, soybeans, legumes such as lentils and beans uh, and, and all, all sorts of other food crops to kill the weeds. And it's it, for that specific job, it did it, it, it did it fantastically because the farmers found it very easy to kill weeds using this chemical. It changed industrial agriculture forever because it became much easier to kill weeds and to produce the same crop over and over again on the same land. But there was one problem with this chemical. Uh, One, it hadn't been studied enough at the time that it started to be used. And two, when it was starting to be studied, it was found to be causing things like problems for rats, so tumours in rats and other, other issues like allergies, and problems with the picking up of important nutrients in the diet. So it became the number one chemical that's used um, in agriculture worldwide. And as I said, it's in in products like Roundup, um, which is a well-known weed killer. So in the 1980s, the companies that were producing this chemical started to realize themselves that there were problems with it um, from a point of view of causing health issues for the general population. However, they hid that from the general public. And only in 2015, it was found by the International Agency for Research on Cancer that it actually causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is, which is a, blood can- a type of blood cancer. And it also obviously stops uh, stops nutrients from being taken up in our diet, which is very important, such as zinc, magnesium, uh, iron, 
um, because it locks onto the molecules of those of those cations and stops them from being taken up into the human body. So it's causing all sorts of different issues from possibly from diabetes to allergies to other things that are currently causing massive problems in the general population, also things such as autism. And actually, this year has been a major year for glyphosate because last month, uh, Bayer paid $10.9 billion compensation to people who suffer from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma across the US. So, Oh, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and, and they're still struggling because uh, it hasn't finished. Um, that law, those legal cases. So it's a main chemical. It's a it's a chemical that that everyone should know about because it's something that literally is in the majority of the population. We did urine testing back in in 2016, and we were finding about 93% of the population have it in their bodies. So it's a it's a major issue and and, and an issue that's only just starting to tell you the truth because much like tobacco, um, everyone thought tobacco was okay back in the 1960s, but then when they found more and more out about it, they realised that it certainly wasn't. And glyphosate is one of those main ubiquitous chemicals that is is on that same trajectory, um, which we're all finding out about more and more now. So it is in weed killer, and is it in any in, in in our food then? Because it's being used on our food. Is it in any other products? No, it's 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 basically now only used as a weed killer. It's not. Having said that, it's also sprayed on crops to ripen them two to three weeks before they come off the field. So, not just used to kill weeds I mean, in, in agriculture. It is also used to ripen and dry out crops more easily for farmers, which is actually the main reason that we're getting it in our food. Because if it's sprayed just as a weed killer early on in the crop, then it doesn't necessarily get in the final product. But if it's sprayed just before the harvest, it often gets into the final product. So yeah, and that's those are the really the only uses for glyphosate currently. So what do you say to the people? I live in a very agricultural community, and I've heard a lot of people say that it would be impossible to farm without it. What would you say to those people? I'd say go back in history 40, 50 years when glyphosate wasn't available. Crops were more nutritious. We weren't having monocropping systems. We were having systems where lots of different types of crops were grown in rotation, which is how things had gone on for thousands of years previously. Um, The the main argument is that we're getting larger uh, yields to feed a growing population. However, in reality, that's not not true either because... um, we don't just eat wheat, oats, soybeans, and corn. Um, it, these are very good money crops for, for for farmers, but they're not very good crops for the general society. So again, it's all about money in reality. It's not necessarily about, as lots of the large chemical corporations uh, claim, feeding the world. Um, it's just a misnomer that's been used to sell a chemical agricultural system. Um, it's a very clever system. Um, it's a clever system because they sell the seeds and they sell the chemicals to use on those seeds. So from a point of view of a business, it's fantastic. However, from the point of view of what we eat, it's it's stupid. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, it's a simple thing. And, 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 and farmers have often been caught up in this, in the crosswire. I'm a, I, I grew up on a farm myself and I grew up in a farming area. So I, I understand the difficulties of being a farmer in the modern world where you're caught up in a circle of debt. Um, but the reality is that that circle of debt has been caused actually by specifically by glyphosate um, because 
that seed chemical circle has caught up farmers in this specific business system of the chemical companies. Um, and it's not a clever system for anyone except for the chemical companies, not clever for the farmers. It's not clever for the people who eat food, everyone. So therefore, who does it benefit is the, is the real question. Mm. And what about the people that use this on their lawns? Yeah, that's another issue. I mean, actually, a lot of the people who have taken via Monsanto to court have been either people who use it in, for example, around towns to control weeds in parks, etc., or people who have regularly used um, in on their own, for example, vegetable patches or, or on lawns because um, they regularly use the product. So um, there are alternatives. Uh, there are alternatives. For example, even um, some of these chemical companies have started selling vinegar and water as an alternative. You know, there are not... Uh, there are things that have been used for, for a long period of time that, that work instead of Roundup. So it's about really thinking about what we're doing. It's not, it's not changing the system. It's just a matter of saying, okay, there are alternatives which are non-toxic. Why not use them instead? We go round and round about this because we have a house just outside of town and it used to be agricultural and it was developed. And so we get a bunch of different weeds and such. And so my husband sprays it. And every single time he sprays it, we have this argument. And he keeps saying, I don't use that much. The rain's going to wash it away. We can't have all these thistles. And I throw other facts at him because I don't want him to use it. But he seems to think that's the only thing he can use. And so then I'll bring this up that it is shown to cause cancer and they're being sued. And well, the amount I use isn't going to cause anything. And I always think, oh, Okay, because when he uses it, the kids and I leave because I don't like that it's being used in my yard. Well, it's nothing to do with the amount. So this is the one misnomer. It's oh. the it's it's all about the regular regular use, and this is the same with every single toxic chemical. There used to be this adage that the dose causes the poison, but that has been misproven by mainstream science for at least the last twenty years, which is that at low doses of regular use, that's the main issue. It's the regularity that you use a product that will cause health damage because generally your body is either storing a specific chemical or the cells are reacting to that chemical over and over again. So it's, it's really nothing to do with how much you're using because most people are not poisoned meaning that they have to go to hospital from a specific chemical. It's, it's about long-term use. It's much like smoking. If you're going to be smoking five cigarettes a day or 20 cigarettes a day, it doesn't actually matter much. It's all about the fact that you're continually doing it. Um, it's, it's that continual use um, that causes a problem. And if you're spraying five, six, seven times a year, or even even in some case two or three times a year, it means that your body is regularly reacting to that chemical. And that's the that's the whole issue surrounding any toxic chemical, but obviously when you're talking about weed killers and Roundup, specifically with Roundup. And the question I always ask of people who are using it in their garden, is there really that much of a problem with that specific weed? What problem is it causing you? Is it causing you any health damage specifically, that weed growing in your garden for looking bad? I mean, it's a big question, really. And, and specifically, lots of weeds have wonderful flowers, so why not leave them to grow? <laughs> we do not use it in our garden. He just uses uh -huh. it, like, in the ditch and stuff, so it does not go directly on my plants. I'm sure it does spread in my plants, but let's... You are the professional here, and you know your business, so let's just get this on record. He should not use it in our yard, should he? 
Uh, no, absolutely yeah. not. If he's using it once every five years, there wouldn't necessarily be a problem. But if he's using it every year regularly, then yep, there's certainly a problem for his health mainly. Right. So are the kids and I being affected by him using it in our yard? Shouldn't go in. Um, to it depends. It depends how much it's raining because it's actually glyphosate is quite water soluble. So in a, in a dry period, it's worse to spray than it is in a in a wet period because it will it will dissipate if it's sprayed in a in a wet period okay. quite quickly. So we have lawsuits going on that it's causing cancer, it's causing health issues and whatnot. But when I was looking through your information, I came across this quote. So I want to read it because I found this not humorous in a good way, I guess. It says, the EPA has concluded that there are no risks of concern to human health when glyphosate is used according to the label, and that is not a carcinogen. That's just not true, right? Yeah, simply it's not true. And the EPA um, actually in the lawsuits has been shown to be working with the chemical companies. So just to be clear, um, the EPA does not do any safety testing at all on toxic chemicals. The EPA relies on the chemical companies doing their own safety studies. So there's no, it's, it's amazing to think because I didn't even realize this before I started. I thought that the regulators and the people who are meant to be protecting our health do their own safety testing. So meaning they do their third party safety testing, but that's not what happens. What happens is actually that the chemical companies provide safety checks on their own products for the regulators to look at. And actually, the regulators often ignore any independent science on the matter whatsoever because they have a specific route of receiving and a specific type of study that they receive from the chemical companies to enable those toxic chemicals to be used. So actually, regulators globally do not do safety testing on toxic chemicals. The only independent research that is done is done by organizations such as the International Agency for Research on Cancer, who don't rely just on the studies that have been done by the chemical companies, but also rely on independent studies. And those are the people who have said that glyphosate um, is a probable human carcinogen, which means that it probably causes cancer. Why do you think, other than, obviously, the EPA is not doing their research on it, but why is the average person who's using this for their yard, their garden, and et cetera, and you almost have to live under a rock to not see some of these articles about the lawsuits and such. Why do you think people don't or won't acknowledge the harmful effects of it? Because they don't think they're personally affected. And, and, and we've seen this over and over again. It's, I suppose, part of human nature to be selfish in some ways and not to think, not, not to think about the big picture. But um, this is actually why we found testing so useful. So we, we were involved in testing politicians in the European Parliament. And after that testing, we saw a, a, a huge change in agricultural policy in the European Union. And that's not because of the general information, but it's because the politicians start to realize, hey, we're actually personally affected by this issue. So it's the same in the general public. Once you learn you're personally affected by something, you then start to take action. Before then, it's just another piece of news, another piece of information that just goes in one ear and comes out the other. So it's like, I think making these issues personal is very important. We've been testing people in the US for the last year to test their hair, to find out what long-term exposure they have. And when you actually find out the specific... So 
there are two things. One is that most people say, oh, okay, there are so many toxic chemicals around us. What's the point of worrying about it? However, that's the fascinating thing about hair testing. When we do hair testing on people, we find that they're actually long-term regularly exposed to very few toxic chemicals. But it's those specific toxic chemicals that they should be avoiding because it's those specific toxic chemicals that are going to cause them health issues. So hair testing actually empowers people to try and avoid the chemicals that will actually cause them a health issue in the future. It's very useful because saying, okay, there are 80,000 toxic chemicals around, once you pinpoint the specific chemicals that you are exposed to regularly, you can actually take action and, and, and that can... Uh, save you from all sorts of issues in the future. So I think that's very useful from the point of view of, as you said, people living under a rock. I think living under a rock to some extent is is good because, you know, you can worry about everything in life and, and we certainly don't want people to worry about everything. But identifying the things that are affecting you and your family is obviously something that you'll want to do. So Walk us through the testing process. What exactly do you do to get tested? So we, we, we actually don't sell the kits ourselves. We, we promote the testing of a couple of laboratories, one in France and one in Pennsylvania, who send out testing kits. So what happens is you order online through the Detox Project website. Um, the kit gets sent to you directly in the post. You put your hair in or actually there's also strip tests for food and water as well. Um, but for the hair testing, you you put a very small amount of hair, which uh, in, in back into the post, which is prepaid. It goes back to the laboratory, and then they send you your results with a bit of information on those specific chemicals that are found, if any are found in your hair. It's a very simple process. There are lots of different types of testing, like you know different ranges. For example, agricultural pesticides, home pesticides, just glyphosate on its own. So all of the different prices for that can be found um, through the testing website. This is a vast range of, of, of different pesticides that you can test yourself for. So are you pulling the hair out by the root? Like you need to look at that? Or no, you, just you just cut a, a, a three centimeter to four centimeter piece of hair from just above the scalp. So you, you don't pull from the root. Um, and that will tell you to a four to five month exposure period. And then when you get the results and you see that you have been exposed to these things, do either you or the testing facility, do you offer ways to help people get detox from these things? No. And we do that for one reason is that we want to focus on the finding out the exposure and doing the research on where these things are. Because to us, detoxing, detoxing the body is very useful to get rid of toxic chemicals from the body. But the first stage is to find out what you've got in. And the second stage is to try and avoid them. Because if they're already in your body, they're most likely causing a problem. Uh, detoxing is, let's say, the, uh, the final extreme thing that you need to do after finding out what you've got in your body and how to avoid those things. And you don't necessarily know if you're going to be fully detoxed from a chemical because it can be stored in your fat supplies, it can be stored in your bones, it can be stored in your hair, it can be stored in your uh, in your blood. So it's, it's very difficult to see if you're actually going to be fully detoxed from a specific chemical. So... The best form of protection is literally those chemicals that you're regularly exposed to. So with your research and everything that you do, what is your ultimate goal? That's a big question. The ultimate aim 
is to one educate uh, to educate as wide uh, as widely as possible because consumer pressure is the, the main thing that changes things. Nothing to do with regulation. Nothing to do with the chemical companies suddenly becoming wonderful. It's consumer pressure that that will change the system. So one one is education and making these these issues personal as they should be. And two is to reduce long-term exposure of toxic chemicals to the general population. Uh, you, you can't you can't aim to ban all toxic chemicals, but we literally play whack-a-mole at the moment with toxic chemicals. One 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 gets banned, and then the other, the next one uh, gets produced by the chemical company to replace it. And I I've seen that as I said, our, our family has a long history of fighting against toxic chemicals, and it's been literally a whack-a-mole game. So it is it will be much better if there's mass awareness of the subject that changes what we want to buy and use in our general lives. If that happens, then all of the companies that are currently producing chemicals will start to realize that there's no benefit of doing so. It's much like the energy revolution. In reality, the more green energy that's used, the less oil and gas that's going to be used. It's the same in the toxic chemical world. If there's general awareness about toxic chemicals, the less they'll be used and the more green non-toxic alternatives will come along. So this has been your mission for quite a while. When you became a parent, did it amplify your mission at all? I think I think becoming a parent amplifies everyone's mission in life. So, um, <laughs> yes, good point. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. You you, you realize more than ever that the, uh, what you're doing to the world affects uh, your children. I mean, it's it's quite simple. It's a one plus one equation, really. And I think that we need to all think, especially um, our generation, to think about ways in which we can, uh, let's say, reverse some of the bad decisions that our parents have made. And that sounds sounds bad judging our parents' generation, but they have made a, a bunch of bad decisions. So it's time to start reversing them as, as quickly as possible, I think. Well, Henry, I think you're doing wonderful work and you are educating people daily and you are helping people live better, do better and be better. And I really admire you for that. Thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure to be on your, on your podcast as well. And I think I'm going to have to get myself a testing kit and see what I've been exposed to. Absolutely. All right. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you again. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.